does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Earlier on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. Who's Kirk Signetti? We'll find out coming up in about five minutes. Bennett Conlin going to join us. JMU Sports News. We'll talk with him about that. Greg Rakestraw coming your way at 8 o'clock. Matt Taylor at 9 and then jammed in between at some point here on 830 uh, because of Will Levis putting the mayo in the coffee leading up to the draft. Mm-hmm. We'll yep. be doing the same. I have the mayo right here. Bought it yesterday at Kroger. So Pray there you go. for the plumbing here on the sixth floor at Radio 1. God, that looks awful. It, Plop uh, it up, folks. You at least know. I like you know how it tastes. You know what to expect. I'm sitting over here blind, horrified, terrified. I've been, you know, Will Levis has been in my life for years, and I have not done this. And now I sit here in Indianapolis, and I have to do it. Is the only Will Levis concern for Sunday this? Got a big arm. We all saw it. What a month ago in his debut. I mean, put up you know huge numbers against the Falcons. That's really been the only game he's put up notable, notable numbers. But remember last week, Andy, I Colts secondary lost Mike Evans a few key times, and I feel like there's been some communication issues on the back end, and that offensive line for Tennessee is bad. So they've got to do a lot to hold up in pass protection. But I'm curious, do they? You know they're going to try a couple deep balls. They got to play to Levis's strength. Can they hit on a couple? I, I think, you know, considering the Colts have had some secondary questions this season, again, last week we saw it a few times, uh, that's Levis's bread and butter. They he do, they don't want to beat you death by a thousand paper cuts, dink and dunk, dunking their way down the field. I think that is a question. Part of it is on your pass rush. Again, Tennessee's O-line is decimated. And are you able to kind of make sure that they are behind schedule, you get them in third and disadvantages, let your pass rush pin back because if they can set up some of those deep shots, Levis does have the arm to try and connect on those. Yeah, Levis has the arm. I would say what surprises me the most about Will Levis thus far this season is that he hasn't, and I know, listen, I know he has two interceptions in five games, but he hasn't been the turnover machine that he was at Kentucky. That's one reason why I think a lot of people were down on him. If you watched a lot of him at Kentucky was, I mean, he made careless throws. He fumbled the ball. Like, you always felt like the game-losing interception was about to happen. Now, in the Pittsburgh game, which was that Thursday night game, if you remember, his second start... First road he, start. Yeah. yeah, he threw the interception at the end of the game. Talking to a couple buddies who are Titans fans, they weren't too worried about that. You know, he's just trying to do something there, right? Trying to get the ball into the end zone at the end of the game with time running out. So that one has almost been moved aside. I, I got to be honest, I'm not sure exactly how bad the Tampa Bay interception was. But for me, you know, I look at this game early analysis. If I were to pick Indy to win the game, I would look and I would say, is this defense, which, you know, is top 10 in sacks, they've got her, you know, 11 sacks, I think it is yeah, the last couple more weeks. Pressure they've dialed up more pressure. Are they going to let a, a rookie quarterback who is already a little unsure of himself, who has a little bit of an ankle injury, just 
just do the one thing to beat them, which is go deep, which Atlanta let him do. In other words, I, I mean, this defense, you know, losing that kind of game, it's different losing even if you would have lost to Tampa Bay and Baker Mayfield, maybe a little bit more of an established guy. Mike Evans having a great, I mean, having a great season, having a Pro Bowl season. Godwin is there. Like, to me, are you going to let Will Levis beat you in this game? And if I'm picking the Colts, I would say no to that. It might be ugly. It might be 2017, but it might fit the mold as well, Kevin, of beating a bad team who's down and out on their luck this season. Yeah, and again, it starts with Tennessee's run game, of course. And if Henry can get going and they can stay on schedule, that's huge. I think if you make Levis play from behind, chain-wise, third and longs, then he can look like the Kentucky guy. But if you let Henry get going, and this is it. This is the final game without Grover Stewart. It's almost like I know you start without Stewart and Cleveland <laughs> gas shit in a few key moments. Now you end without Stewart in this six-game cycle. Do we see it show up again? That is a worry I have because you were so good against Henry back in week five, and yet Tennessee still had chances. He wishes a five-game suspension for the uh, right. for the mask agent or whatever he took. I think that's obviously <laughs> a huge storyline coming up on Sunday. All right, let's get to the Payless Lickers hotline. Let's learn something about Kirk Signetti here. JMU Sports' Bennett Conlon joins us here on the program. Bennett, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for joining us and joining us in the 7 o'clock hour. Ben, it's hard to get guests in the 7 o'clock hour. We uh, we do appreciate it. Uh, I guess, what is the reaction there? Coach Sig leaving, going to Bloomington. What has been the reaction after such a great season there with JMU? Yeah, I think there's certainly some disappointment among JMU fans just because Signetti is a very good coach and had a ton of success at JMU going 52-9. and Over five seasons, he let him into the FBS and I think was more impressive than anybody expected at the FBS level. So there was a hope among fans that uh, Cignetti would stick around for at least one more year with that expanded 12-team playoff next year and potentially a spot for the Dukes in a group of five teams. So uh, some disappointment, but also sort of a respect and, and admiration for what Cignetti accomplished in Harrisonburg. Bennett, how would you describe Kurt Signetti on the sideline, sidelines? I like guess coaching style, uh, how JMU you know played the game, if you will. Uh, just more of kind of the football coach. How would you describe uh, Coach Sig? Yeah, so he builds kind of from the trenches first. So he wants a good offensive line, a good defensive line. I think the the part about Signetti that people maybe overlook or don't understand is that he's willing to adjust based on his personnel. So JMU, for example, this year came into the season, returned a lot of running backs, had a good offensive line. There was an expectation uh, with some questions at quarterback that they would be a run-heavy offense. They kind of tried to do that through the first like five weeks of the year. Uh, it didn't work the way they had hoped. Uh, their running offense is one of the least efficient in the Sun Belt. Things weren't. They were winning games, but they were close games. The offense was really inconsistent. Then they had a bye week, and they came out of the bye week um, as a pass-first offense, they looked pretty much uh, a lot different. They were a lot more explosive and much better offense. They ended up having their quarterback win Sunbelt Player of the Year, uh, and they had two receivers go over 1,000 yards. So they went from what expected to be sort of this run-heavy physical offense to a group that was just throwing the ball 30, 40 times a game. So he's really willing to adjust. Uh, his focus is going to be offensive line, defensive line, uh, they spread you out on offense, but do some different groupings based on their personnel. And then defensively, uh, they ran pretty much a four-two-five all year. Uh, great defense, and I think the expectation, at least from what uh, we've heard around Harrisonburg, is that he plans on bringing quite a bit of his staff with him. 
And then I guess on the flip side of that, maybe describe him a little bit more off the field. You know, it's funny when we saw him, and obviously Pat McAfee, a lot of local ties here to Indy, when we saw him make that appearance with McAfee well, when that was awesome. Game Day was there. Dude, that was awesome. That was high energy. <laughs> you talk great. about a dude marketing for his program and playing to the crowd. He checked all those boxes. Um, how would you describe Kurt Signetti off the field? Yeah, he's a fun guy. He's super candid, so you're going to get some – some good quotes. I would say he's um, he's a bad quote during like fall camp. Like he'll tell you pretty much nothing about his team <laughs> during fall camp. But once the season kicks off, he's very candid about who's going to play, who's not going to play, um, certain things they're doing that he likes, things that he doesn't like. Um, he was pretty open this year at times of calling out the starting quarterback um, and sort of challenging him publicly, which seemed to work. He ended up winning some Bell Player of the Year. So he's a he's a great quote, an interesting guy. A uh, unique character, but somebody yeah who's who's super loyal to uh, his staff, his his players, uh, and the fan base. So when he goes somewhere, he commits pretty hard to to what they're doing and what they're trying to accomplish. So uh, I think fans will really appreciate him. He's somebody that that knows how to win, and he's he's um, he's not doing a ton of coach speak, which I think Jamie fans appreciated. Bennett Conlon with us here on the Wake Up Call. He's from JMU Sports News talking Kirk Signetti, of course, being hired officially yesterday in Bloomington. You mentioned he's going to be bringing a ton of that staff with him. What notable names do we need to know here as that transition is going to be happening over the next couple days? Yeah, I think the three names that Jamie fans thought of as internal hires, and I think uh, uh, the athletic director shot that down yesterday, so it, does, it seems unlikely that they'll be hired by Jamie. But you got the offensive coordinator, Mike Shanahan, defensive coordinator, Bryant Haynes, and then they'd love to, I'm sure Indiana would love to have a quarterback's coach, uh, Tino Sonseri. So all three of those guys are, are young coaches that have had a lot of success. They've been with Signetti for multiple seasons. Uh, they're a huge part of, of Jamie's success. The players really respond to him. Good recruiters. I think they, they're all really well in sync in terms of understanding what Signetti wants, why they want to do it, but then also having a willingness to just share their own ideas and, and change scheme throughout the season as needed based on their personnel. So if you get, uh, if you're an Indiana fan, you're able to get Shanahan and Haynes as your coordinators, I think you're probably overjoyed. So that seems like it's certainly uh, a realistic possibility at this point. And, uh, yeah, I think Indiana fans should be pretty excited if that's your um, sort of the bulk of the staff. South side of Indianapolis, curious if uh, Ron Colley legend Patrick Kuntz, the defensive line coach, will be making the trip back here. <laughs> Absolute legend, Mr. Kuntz there. Okay, Bennett, last one for me. And again, Bennett Conlin, co-founder of JMU Sports, joining us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. We're getting to know Kurt Signetti a little bit more. Uh, Kurt Signetti, by the way, will be on with JMV coming up at 5.30 today. How much of a rebuild, because on paper it doesn't look like there was much at all. I guess how much of a rebuild was JMU when he took over, or was I mean, it, it might be a dumb question because I'm like, wait, weren't they just in the national title a couple of years before he took over? Yeah, so not not much of a rebuild there. I think his other stops, IUP and Elon, were were really impressive. The Elon one, uh, they played in the same conference this CAA as JMU did when they were both at the FCS level. Uh, Elon was not a very good team. They were not used to winning, not expecting to win. He made them good immediately. Uh, eight and four his first year. Six and five his second year is super misleading. They started the year extremely strong, and their starting quarterback got hurt. And they had like I think their starting running back also got hurt. So they're eight and four his first year there. Six and five his second year. Uh, they were a much better team than that six and five 
record suggests. I think that was the year. Yeah, that was the year they beat an undefeated JMU. JMU fans were talking about their team like they might have um, like a historically great team through five weeks. Elon came to Harrisonburg and upset them. I think JMU was like a 35-point favorite. So, um, wow. Cincinnati's a really good coach. He's turned a, a couple of places around that, that weren't winning a lot of football games. Uh, Jamie wasn't one of those, but he sort of came in and immediately took the Dukes from a winning program, maintained that. And then I would say, if, if you want to say a rebuild of any sorts, um, going into the FBS, the way he developed depth across the roster uh, was really impressive given the, the scholarship increase you get once you move up levels. I thought he handled that really impressively and, and also navigated a COVID season for the Dukes where they played it in the spring in 2020 and then in the fall in 2021. So really small off season there. And they ended up going uh, 19 and three over that stretch, despite, you know, potential injury risk and all that stuff. So um, not necessarily rebuilding at JMU, but the challenges he faced, I think were, unique to any other previous coach in the school's history. All the reports, Bennett, and Bennett Conlon with us, uh, we're talking JMU, is obviously Kirk Signetti goes to Bloomington. All the reports have Coach Sig going, and by the way, I love that. that that's what I'm calling him, Coach Sig. I, you know, have him coaching the bowl game. I, you know, around here, I'm not sure exactly how to take that. He's got a big rebuild here in Bloomington. Was that important to him or the school? How did that go down, do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. The school, based on uh, the athletic director, seemed like it was relatively important to JMU to have him coach that. I imagine Signetti, part of him, wanted to, to finish out the season with the Dukes just because they had such a special year. Um, he's shown in the past that he's, he's pretty good at juggling multiple responsibilities. So I think um, coaching a team for a bowl, it, it sounded like what he was saying to local media sort of before he left for Indiana as well, is that he would have been recruiting-focused at JMU regardless um, during this time where they pretty much have their practice schedule, they do that. They watch a little bit of film, but there's, you know, especially early on, there's not a time because they don't even know their bowl opponent yet. Um, so I think he'll be able to juggle that pretty reasonably where I think he'll he'll be excited to have one last game on the sidelines. And um, I'm sure his primary focus during the next two weeks is, is going to be recruiting for Indiana would be my expectation. Bennett, appreciate the insight on Kurt Signetti. I know it's probably been a busy 24-hour period for you. Uh, So thanks for waking up with us on this Friday morning, and uh, have a great weekend, man. Of course. Thanks for having me on. All right, Greg Ragstraw going to join us here in just a second. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, will join us his normal Friday 9 o'clock slot with us. We'll give you our picks. I'm not sure if that matters. Although I was right last week, we'll give you our picks of the Colts and Titans. And then Mark Dykton's going to be leaving the studio here, and uh, he will be putting on a pot of coffee, and we will be doing sports radio hijinks coming up at about 8.30. We will be putting the Will Levis mayonnaise in the the coffee, something Levis <laughs> made popular at Kentucky and then leading up to the NFL draft. Do you think Rake so, has ever done that? Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Well, let's get him going. Rake, have you ever uh, put the mayo in the coffee? You want to do that? You want to come by? I uh, No. Uh, I am a mayo connoisseur. I am a coffee connoisseur. I am not crossing the streams. <laughs> that sounds utterly disgusting. Yeah, I'm I'm fearful. I know Mark and KB, they've done this. I have not done this, even though I followed and watched every snap that Levis took uh, there I've heard at it tastes Kentucky. a lot better the second time around. So, Is that what you yeah, hear? Uh-huh. Well, well, we'll see. What's your favorite mayonnaise then? We have Duke's mayo. That's what we're going to roll with here in about 25 minutes. 
You know, it's kind of like Office Space. I celebrate the entire catalog, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, let me let me start here uh, in Ray, uh, Greg Regstraw on the Payless Lakers hotline. Line. Uh, Kirk Signetti gets hired. Uh, press conference today at around two thirty. He's going to be on with JMV at about five thirty. I thought Kevin said it best. The perennial winner for the perennial loser uh, taking over there in Bloomington. Uh, I, I don't know how much you know of him. What do you make of the hire? Um. I think it's I think it's the best hire you can make is going to lead to success. I have no idea because there have been a lot of talented people, and it has been rare that someone has won consistently at IU. You know, Bill Mallory has the longest stretch of success. You've got John Pont that has that comet of 1967. You've got Bo McMillan during World War II when Indiana was a good football team for a good chunk of the 40s. You know, you can't ignore what Tom did for back-to-back years in 19 and 20. Uh, what we thought Terry Hepner was trending towards doing in Bloomington. But there have been a lot of talented football minds that have not won in B-Town. Good news, bad news, is that the way you play the game in terms of recruiting facilities, etc., has now completely changed. You also have never had a big hit like this one that spans the entire country and has 18 teams. Um, And and so I I think of the available candidates, Signetti's resume is as good as anybody. I I, I think it's the best hire that Scott Dolson could make. It's going to lead to success. I have no earthly idea. I have decades of evidence that tell me it probably won't. Rick, it's probably an unfair question, but I find it interesting. The last 12 months, you've seen very different hires from Purdue and Indiana. Purdue hires one of the youngest head coaches in college football, a first-time head coach, a heavy defensive background, has been at this major college football level, though, uh, throughout his coaching career. On the flip side of it, Indiana hires a guy that is nearly 30 years older, um, has an extensive head coaching background, but has not been at this level in quite some time. More of an offensive background as well. Which one makes more sense to you? Uh, both can, can can make sense. And Kevin, what always usually happens in a coaching hire? You tend to go in the opposite direction you were in if you feel the program needs a change. Yeah, for sure. Now maybe you maybe you could say that Purdue didn't exactly need a change. Not from a record standpoint, I think some of the folks behind the scenes were relieved that, that Jeff Brom was, was, was moving on, um, at least just from a personality standpoint and, and, and not with the record on the field. That was solid, you know, more years than not. But because Tom Allen, clearly a defensive guy, and it didn't work the last three years, what direction you're heading? You're, you're going to head in the opposite direction. So I... I I am a big believer in it's about best available fit. And it's a little bit different in college than, say, the pros, where the roster is established. You go, okay, we need this type of coach because we have these type of players. Well, these days, more so than ever before, it is a blank canvas. You want to start your team over? Fine. Everybody out. Let's all jump in the portal. Let's see who we can bring in. Uh, and so, really, it's about – who do you think the best fit is? Mike Babinski thought that going with a younger coach who was just across the state line, who had Big Ten experience, felt that was the way to go for the program. We can't say that it was the wrong fit after the first year, 4-8. and eight. 
Fury is still out. Many people felt you wanted to get a guy that knew about being a head coach, that has had a track record of success, that leaned towards being an offensive guy. He checked all those boxes for IU. I think both of them can work out, and I think really it's about whatever you feel is the best fit for your program at that time. Greg Rakestraw with us here on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. Um, you're going to be on that post game with the Colts and Titans, and we're going to be talking about that game a lot here the second half of the show. You know, you look at the first time around, so much has changed from the 23-16 win the Colts had earlier in Lucas Oil Courts, the game Anthony Richardson was injured. What do the Colts need to do for you, Rake, to have a, a positive, happy post game show on Sunday? Their formula for success is, is amazingly simple. Win the turnover battle, win the game. Um, obviously, when you are taking on the Tennessee Titans, you, you know, goals one through 78, stop the guy wearing number 22. Um, easier said than done in total, especially the case without Grover Stewart. Last game that Grover will miss is absence we felt dramatically. I'm sure you guys have touched on this. I'm not sure at the NFL level. I have seen a team that is as Jekyll and Hyde at home in the road as the Tennessee Titans. Four and one at home, oh and six on the road. That's that's that is a somewhat baffling stat, to be honest. We talk about home field advantage; it's never usually that pronounced. Um, it seemingly is for that team, um, and so it's going to be a lot of bend but not break because again, the Colts have given you five games worth of can't really stop the run without Grover Stewart on the field. You know that's what Tennessee does well. Will Levis will not be asked to pass the football a lot. But if you can force him into making mistakes, and if this team can make fewer mistakes than the Titans, again, 11 games of evidence now have shown, Colts in the turnover battle, they're probably going to win the game. And so to me, we can all say, hey, stop Derrick Henry. Colts aren't going to do that. Just They're just not. Um, but can they win the turnover battle against a rookie quarterback? Yeah, I think they can. And if they do that, they can get to seven and five. Okay, Greg Rakeshaw is with us here, ISC Sports Network. Greg, if you don't mind, can we go back to last weekend in the IHSA State Finals? Uh, do we have any numbers yet on how things looked from a streaming only standpoint here in 2023? Not that have been shared with me at this point. So unfortunately, I don't have an answer for you on that question. Okay, well, uh, hopefully we'll get one at some point. Uh, shifting gears then, basketball-wise, obviously historic season last year for the Giants of Ben Davis. Uh, we saw a couple of big transfers here locally in Jalen Harrelson and Kanan Catchings. Certainly the Flory Badunga storyline is one to watch this year at Kokomo. What is on your high school basketball mind as we now kind of shift towards that? Uh, it is it is shootout slash event season. So, for example, this Saturday is Sneakers for Santa shootout. We have that on ISC. The two games that I get to call on my Indy TV tomorrow night are Lawrence North and Brownstown Central, followed by Center Grove and Attics. Next weekend, it's the Forum Tip-Off Classic. Hey, we have that, too. It's the, uh, it's the Phil Cox Memorial Tournament in Kokomo. Uh, obviously, anytime you can show Flory Badunga, you get a lot of eyeballs. We had their season opener against Westfield, but Westfield won last Saturday. Hall of Fame Classic, Paul Logan Classic, etc. From a local standpoint, so far Brownsburg and Fishers have played well without their star players. The, how long can that translate? They both have really good coaches in Steve Lynch and Garrett Weiniger, so I think they can be successful. At what point does that 
talent drain, star player, et cetera, at what point does that give you fits in terms of the state tournament? We're three months away from that, so we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I think Lawrence North, when fully healthy, might be the best team. They're not fully healthy just yet. Um, it's kind of questionable if Stink Robinson's going to play in tomorrow night's game. He's kind of uh, dealing with an injury. And Jared Good, one of their um, solid um, – I think it's named him by his dad's name. Um, I'm spacing on the son's name. Anyway, he – Did you say the January. one kid's name was Stink? <laughs> Stink Robinson. Xavier Robinson is his name. Everybody calls him Stink. So God, what a great the, nickname. The, the only other the Stink is Schlereth. To be nicknamed Stink since Mark Schlereth. Yeah, I was about to say – The best one of – the best one of, of this millennium, yes. <laughs> that is awesome. I was about to say, Mark Schlereth is the only other stink I know in sports. I think Notre Dame's offered him. Now I want him more than ever. Uh, most major college programs have offered him. He has started since day one. He is a junior. This is a group that has largely been together. What LN didn't have last year, a lot of were seniors in size. Really just graduated two seniors. They found one in Brendan Miller, who as a freshman was playing on the JV until about January started knocking down shots at the varsity level. So now they've got, if not the typical LN size, enough size, especially against a team like a Kokomo, uh, et cetera, uh, to do some damage. Ben Davis will be good once they get all their pieces assembled. You know, Fishers beat them last week. Mark Zachary did not play. Ben Davis was scheduled to play four times before tomorrow when they play Fort Wayne Wayne for game number five. They didn't play last Saturday because it was obviously opposite the 6A championship game. They're not playing tonight. Did not want to play a conference game without their full complement of players. All of their guys will have their practices in. Mark Zachary will make his season debut tomorrow when Ben Davis takes on Wayne at 445 at Brownsburg High School, which can be seen for free at iscsportsnetwork.com. Rake, it's um, something that Scotty Johnson, our great statistician among other things, confirmed earlier this week, and it's a bit astonishing. We have not had a mid-major in the NCAA men's basketball tournament from the state of Indiana since Valpo in 2015. Um, if I'm looking at these records correctly right now, we've got Indiana State at 6-1, and one, Evansville yep. at 6-1, and one, Ball State and Michael, Lew- and these are all pretty, you know, young coaches in terms of how they've been or how long they've been at these respective programs. Ball State and Michael Lewis at five and two. Uh, uh, do we feel like obviously Ball State or excuse me, Indiana State and Evansville are in a loaded Missouri Valley? The MAC is a good mid-major conference as well. Do we feel like there's some potential for Purdue and we'll see if anybody else from the state challenges for an NCAA tournament bid? You know, I, I, I do. Um, I think Indiana State, now again, the, the Valley is, is not is not Wichita State Creighton days, uh, but I think of, of the one-bid leagues, it's about as good as, as you're going to find. Um, and so Indiana State was predicted to finish fourth. Evansville was predicted to finish 11th. Now, that, that can obviously be off. Evansville lost their conference opener at Missouri State earlier this week. Indiana State crushed Illinois State uh, when, when they played in whoever they opened Southern Illinois. Sorry, uh, in in terms of their conference opener back on Tuesday, Indiana State I think is going to be really good at that level. But let's face it, for as 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 good as I think they are, they still have to win three games in three days in Arch Madness the first weekend in March. It's just the nature of of of, of what it is. Um, same move can be said for Ball State. I would put Purdue Fort Wayne. Purdue Fort Wayne has been really impressive so far. Can't place how they did in the Horizon League open play on Wednesday. And off the top of my head, I don't know if the Dons won that one or not. 
But Purdue-Fort Wayne won at DePaul. You know, again, worst right. team in the Big East. Still a great win for anybody in the Horizon League. So, And that team is completely new. That was one of the oldest teams in college basketball last year. I think the average years of starting experience or experience of their starting five last year was about four and a half years in college. So they've completely changed over their team. But John Kaufman's done a pretty good job of restocking that quickly. So um, I would say of, of the mid-majors, Indiana State won maybe Ball State 2, Purdue-Fort Wayne 3 in terms of chances to, to nab an at-large berth in the NCAA tournament. Or, no, sorry, an automatic qualifier in the NCAA tournament this year. Right, great stuff. Uh, nice run into you yesterday, and uh, we'll be listening coming up Sunday for the post-game show between Colts and Titans. You got it. What time is, is, is Mayo going in the coffee in the show today? 15 minutes the from now. The plop is in 15 minutes. Ugh. Okay, I'll be sure to be not listening oh. in at that time. Thank you, Oh, Jake. come on, Rake. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, 9 o'clock hour, hanging out with you in the DriveHubler.com studios. Kevin Bowen, Andy Sweeney, Mark Dykton. It is the wake-up call. We put the mayo in the coffee. I'm sure, K- KB, you want to take another swig of that, so I'm going to let you and Matt Taylor deal with that here. Uh, in short order, reminder, you miss any of the show here, any of our shows here on The Fan, check it out, 1075thefan.com. Download the app as well. Take us wherever you want to take us. Stream us, 1075thefan.com as well. All right. Let's uh, let's get him going here on the Payless Lakers Hotline. Matt Taylor, the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, joins us here. His normal 9 a.m. Friday slot. Matt, good morning, sir. How are you? What's going on, fellas? Happy Friday to you. Well, happy Friday to you. Do you want to do this? Uh, I don't know if you heard. We did the mayo 30 minutes ago in the coffee in honor of uh, one William Levis. So, KB, take it away. Do you want to take one more swig or, would, or are you, you going to punt? I would hope that Matt Taylor and Rick Venturi will do the same oh, coming I'm sure up they will. 1 o'clock Sunday. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I would hope. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a in a showing of solidarity, yeah. with solidarity with the with the with the morning goobers. That's exactly what we're going to do here. Yeah, what, yeah, what did you call us? Tops of our list. <laughs> what did you call us? Now I will say this about Sunday, and then you know we're kind of nerding out, but and you can fill us in. Uh, from what I recall, you've got one of the. I would say that Nashville in that stadium is one of the best views that you have all year, right? Um, it's it's okay. It's oh, okay. It's okay. My, 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 my favorite booth is Cincinnati. Cincinnati is pristine because it's a good location, not too high, not too low. It's wide. Isn't Foxborough right? good? Foxborough is great. Tennessee's okay. It's 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 a little bit low, and I think they've moved us the last couple of years. We used to be closer to the fifty yard line. Now we're at, at about like the twenty five on mm. whatever end is is closest to the river. There, um, I'm not sure in terms of directions, but it's. It's okay. Listen, I mean, the play-by-play griping about the booth and location—that's that's that's, uh, that's a tale of well, old as yeah, time. You're too oh, close honestly, to the field. If yeah. you uh, if you want to be closer to the fifty, drink a little mayo and coffee, and you'll oh. be right back there. <laughs> go to the bathroom. Yeah. Uh huh. Right, here yeah. we go. Here we go. I'm gonna go. have one more sip. You guys can take it and move on to the uh, you know week well, thirteen. Let's li- and well, hang on. Let's listen in. Oh, it sounded disgusting. That sounded bad. Yeah, no, to, I, go ahead, Matt. When that oh, chunk no. hits the lips. I mean, I know all about the Will Levis infamous mayo and coffee, but my my question is how does how does one figure that's how does one figure out that's a good combination? Like, I, 
how, how do you how do you just open up the fridge one day and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put mayonnaise in my coffee. You know, I you preach, there? preach. I don't know what you did at Franklin in, in college. <laughs> I'm sure you did some stupid things in your time there. You probably ate some things you know, that you might have had some morning regret of, but I could not agree more. As, with his girlfriend. This is not like, you know, stupid human tricks or, you know, Friday of Little Five. I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> you're right. You're right. You know, it's one thing like to be dared at, at three o'clock in the morning, sure. buddy. You know, after having some just some dead soldiers in the corner, and then you're like, "All right, I'll just you know, I'll, I'll be stupid. I'll be the guy that puts may- mayonnaise in my coffee." But then to like like it and to right. prefer it, it's, it's just baffling. Yeah, he did the he did like the SEC media day, so he's like stone cold sober, uh, sober, you know, at like noon in Birmingham, whatever they do uh, the SEC media day. So, well, some fun there. We we will, I'm sure go to the YouTube if you want to watch any of that. I guess let's start with Levis. Um, you know, this pass rush for the Colts, what 11 sacks in the last couple games, but really just dialing up the pressure, and also some of these guys just flat out getting home. They finished the game last weekend. To me, getting to Levis, making him uncomfortable, and then on top of it, Matt, you know, he only has two interceptions in five games at Kentucky. He was kind of a turnover machine, getting him to turn the ball over as well. That seems like the recipe in beating the Tennessee Titans. What do you make of that defensive line versus Will Levis on Sunday? Yeah, that's been the part of this three-game winning streak for me that's most encouraging. You know, you, you, you take a lot of optimism going forward in the final six games of the season, considering the way the Colts are winning up front with their pass rush. It's not just DeForest Buckner anymore, right? It's not Buckner beating a double team and still, you know, putting pressure up the middle, um, you know, getting in the face of a quarterback uh, up the middle of the pocket. It's now, guys, to your point, Andy, winning on the outside and winning their one-on-one matchups. I mean, Dio Adangbo's got six-and-a-half sacks now in the season with four-and-a-half in the last couple of games. Uh, you look at Quiddy Pay, you know, his next sack, that'll represent a career high for him over six sacks for the year. Samson Ebicom has six sacks. So, you know, it's a lot of diversity right now. It's a lot of guys winning their one-on-one matchups. And the good thing for Gus Bradley is, is they're getting home without having to blitz a lot, which is kind of the hallmark of, of – his defense, you know, the way that he principally wants to play, he doesn't like to blitz a lot. So the, the, the front four organically winning and providing the pass rush is really kind of music to his ears. And now that being said, to your point, Will Levis, he's a rookie and the, and the sample size is very small. I mean, this upcoming game on Sunday is going to be his sixth game. But he has shown that when he's not blitzed, like any quarterback, right, when he's got time and he's protected and he can read and diagnose and use that accuracy, he's pretty good. He's got near 100% or I should say 100 passer rating when he's not blitzed, uh, which, again, is, is pretty darn good with the small sample size. So might this be, you know, a game where a couple weeks ago the Colts, uh, when they played another rookie quarterback and in, in, in Bryce Young, they heated him up pretty good. And the Colts had five sacks in that game. They had three turnovers two pick sixes uh, from Kenny Moore. Might they go back to that game plan and that ideology, you know, to get after a rookie quarterback, make him feel uncomfortable, give the ball up a couple of times, and send some extra people outside of that front four that is winning up front because Levis is 2-0 and at home. He's got four touchdowns, no picks, and his passer rating at home is 110. And he, just like the rest of their team, uh, completely different at home this year compared to on the road. So that's going to be interesting to me is, is how aggressive the Colts are in terms of sending extra people at the rookie quarterback, knowing their pass rush right now is playing its best football of the season. 
He is Matt Taylor. He's too soft to put mayo in his coffee, and he is with us here on the Payless Liquors. Guilty, guilty. Raise my hand, guilty. Hotline. Uh, you got an analogy for us? I, I, I've loved your Friday analogies that you've shared with us about Colts games this season. I, I mean this in all seriousness. I think they've been outstanding. Uh, you got anything for us here as we get a – the? I guess this is what, the second rematch of the year for the Colts? Yeah, I mean, maybe another bad analogy is, you know, like you, you started the first semester really good. Remember, like, your first semester um, in, in high school, you, you come out strong, right? You get a couple A's, some B's, and you got a solid GPA. You're feeling good right now, and that's where the Colts are at. They're they're feeling good going into the home stretch. You know, they, they've raised that GP up to a respectable, you know, 3.5, between 3.5 and 4.0. They're in the mix you know, to be on the honor roll. And that's where the Colts are at right now in the mix of the, the AFC playoff pecking order. But you got to continue to bring it because there's a semester left. And this semester is more intense than the first semester. Um, you got six games left. You know, there's a bunch of teams right now, right? You got 10 AFC teams entering Sunday with at least six wins. You know, the, the division winners right now are, are pretty solidified, but that wild card race. It's somewhat of a mess right now. You got six games to go. You got about uh, six teams that are jockeying for three AFC wild card spots. The Colts are squarely in that mix. So there's my bad analogy, right? You got to like back it. up the first <laughs> semester with a solid and even better second semester. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love the rematch, you know, quality about this game too, because even though Tennessee is what four and seven, and they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year, this team and and this rivalry still exists and Tennessee still quite frankly does not like the Colts I mean I saw a quote the other day from Arden Key you know one of their upcoming uh up and coming uh, pass rushers that they're down in Tennessee I love this quote and I wrote it down he said I think this is probably to a reporter in the locker room he said quote every team has that one loss that one blank whooping that goes uh, above and beyond during the season he said that game the first time we played the Colts that was the game for us. And so I think, you know, even though it was a, a kind of a close game on the scoreboard, right, the Colts won 23-16, to 16, it really wasn't that close in terms of the feel and just the way the Colts dominated that game, especially up front on offense. The offensive line pushed them around. Zach Moss ran for, a, you know, a career-high 165 yards in that game. I mean, Moss in that game, I went back and, and did the math on it, he had 11 runs in that game with at least five yards. And this is a, a, a defense that prides themselves, or at least did pride themselves, on being able to stop the run and control the line of scrimmage. They've kind of fallen off in that regard. So I think Tennessee playing at home, trying to split this, the, uh, the season series with the Colts and get some revenge on them, knowing they're in the thick of a playoff uh, chase, the Colts that is, they would love to play spoiler and kind of ruin the trajectory that the Colts are on right now, considering what happened to the Titans eight weeks ago in week five. I guess to kind of continue that, you know, uh, first semester analogy, in a way I look back at the first meeting, Matt, and think, okay, you know, theoretically you're taking a very similar test, you know, whatever, geometry, and this is another geometry test. But I feel like the questions are much different because of how much has changed personnel-wise from that right. first matchup. The quarterbacks are different. Grover Stewart's not in the lineup. Bernard Ryman is in the lineup. You know, you don't have a Jonathan Taylor. Um, Tahir Tart is a key piece for Tennessee's run defense, and you ran all over him back in week five. So I feel like I didn't, I don't know if I felt this way when the rematch happened against Jacksonville. Maybe I did a little bit. Um, but 
I feel like this game, this rematch, and part of it's, I guess it was two months ago, uh, that a lot has changed, though, from what happened in that Colts win back at Lucas Oil Stadium to what is available to both teams coming up on Sunday. Yeah, and to take the, the analogy, you know, the, the cheesy analogy a step further, the Colts are, they're a, they're a you know, a, a, a student that studies, that's really studious, that takes the academic seriously, but they've been throwing a lot of curveballs, right? They were throwing a, a pop quiz at them that they didn't study for, that they weren't ready for, and they bombed it. And that's the adversity the Colts have been faced, have faced this year with Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor in and out of the lineup, kind of starting and stopping and stopping his, uh, his, his season, you know, Grover Stewart. So to your point, this is going to be a completely different game. It's got a different feel about it going into this one compared to, you know, early October. Gardner Minshew is going to start. Uh, Zach Moss is going to be the bell cow running back for the Colts on Sunday. You know, that's not completely different from week five. But, you know, you're not going to have Jonathan Taylor. And the defense, like I said, from Tennessee, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. And schematically, they're going to play – they just are. They're going to play completely different in this game. You know, and in week five, they kind of went to their base defense, that, that over uh, front uh, where they have that little natural bubble, not to get too overly schematic, but, you know, they've got that natural bubble between the defensive tackle and the nose tackle. They're not going to do that. They're going to go back to what the Colts have historically uh, had trouble with the last couple of years, whatever you want to call it, the double sink, the diamond front. Rick Venturi calls it the bear front. The Colts have had a hard time racking up big games on the ground when they face that type of front. Tennessee smart. That's what they're going to do. There's no doubt about it. They're going to play a lot more physical or try to in this game on Sunday based on the quotes you're getting from their locker room. Um, so this, this has a really important feel about it because of the swing nature of this game. You know, if you follow the playoff odds, you know, the Colts go up from like a like a 42% chance of making the playoffs as of right now. It's like almost a 60% chance of making the postseason if they can get this win, win four in a row, and continue to stack wins. But AFC wins, that'll help the Colts down the stretch in terms of tiebreakers that they might have on other teams. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor with us here. Pay less liquors hotline. For, uh, Football Friday here on The Fan. I, I want to, okay, so I was going to ask you about JT, and then you talked about that bare front, and that's also something that I had written down. You look at the last three games, 70 yards rushing for the Colts, 78, and then against Tampa Bay, 155. When you're talking with Coach up there in the booth, what were they doing last week to get the run going when even in these wins the last few weeks they had not been running the football at a high clip yeah it's 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 diversity you know it's it's not just the outside zones it's not just the inside gap runs you know they're they're pulling guards and they're they're whamming people with you know uh with 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 tight ends coming across the formation and kicking out you know defensive tackles and defensive ends so that that's to me the most encouraging part about this offense under Shane Steichen is just the diversity. It's the innovation that you see on a week-to-week basis. And so, again, I don't expect the Colts to flirt with 200 yards rushing in this game like they did back in Week 5, but you've you got to be able to sustain drives and stay on the field because that's exactly what Tennessee wants to do. They want to win this game ugly and nasty and early December outside football, right? They want to win the game similarly to how the Patriots wanted to win a couple weeks ago in Germany, low scoring, kind of two to three scores, right? Whether it's 13 to seven or 10 to six, they want to shorten the game with long sustained drives. And that's where the Colts have to kind of rebuttal that with 
you know, some, some physicality of their own and some time of possession of their own because what you can't do is be susceptible to not being able to stop Derrick Henry and then not move the ball on your own on offense. Uh, last one for me, Matt. You know, I, I give you guys credit, and we played the sound on Monday of Lara Overton having the report there on you guys' broadcast of the right hand being dealt with with Jonathan Taylor. On Carissa Thompson-like Lara yeah. Overton in <laughs> yes, that moment. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and so because a lot of times you're wondering, okay, why the entire second quarter, you know, Taylor's been so good, why is he not in? Not that Moss isn't a good player, but Jonathan Taylor had kind of got it going, and so uh, you guys gave some great insight there when you knew that and maybe not everyone in the stadium or people watching on TV, could you or Coach notice any difference in the second half with Jonathan Taylor? And then obviously, how big of a loss is that for the next couple weeks? Well, I didn't notice anything, to be honest with you. And, you know, to be fair, obviously there's a lot going on. You know, it's a game of chess uh, during the game um, with your brain and, and your calls and incorporating all that you have to, to balance throughout the course of the game. Um, so I really didn't think anything of it in terms of it being a major injury at the time, just because Jonathan never left the game, right? He didn't leave the game early. He didn't go back to the locker room and then not come back. So really didn't think anything of it. And, and quite frankly, when he ran in the second half, he ran hard. And, you know, there wasn't any issues, obviously, with, with ball security and, and stuff like that. So, you know, that was a surprise to me, like it was a lot of people when I got the news of that on you know, early Tuesday morning about the injury and having to have surgery and, and, and where we're at right now with that. But, you know, to be honest with you, the Colts have been so fortunate to have Zach Moss that I'm not really concerned about the running game. Now, don't get me wrong. Would you like to have Jonathan Taylor on, on your team getting 20 carries a game? Yes, absolutely. I mean, don't be ridiculous but because Jonathan Taylor is a, a top five running back in the NFL. But guess what? Zach Moss is a top 15 running back in the NFL. I mean, he's he's been so steady for this team. And, you know, Tim, him taking on this opportunity to be the main guy within the running game is not foreign to him. He's already done it twice um, with the Colts since being traded for in the middle of last year, right? The last four or five games last year, he rushed for over 300 yards. And then from weeks two to six this year, in that span, he led the NFL in rushing. He led the NFL in terms of uh, carries per game, averaging about 19. And, you know, you go back to him being in college at Utah. He was a three-year starter and the bell cow running back for a really good, you know, youth team. So this is not foreign to him. He's going to be ready. And I still think the Colts are going to be productive in the running game the last six games or for the last, you know, handful of games um, upcoming for, for Jonathan Taylor to come back. We'll see about that in terms of the timeline. But, no, I don't think you're going to see any drop-off from, from Taylor to Moss because maybe Moss doesn't have the burst that Taylor does and the ability to rip off, you know, 70-yard runs. But he's still ripping off runs over 10, um, you know, getting out of tackles. He's elusive. He's got that great spin move. I think Shane Steichen called it his, his nimble running ability. <laughs> Um, so there's really not a whole lot of drop-off between Taylor and Moss. That's why when Taylor went out of the lineup last week, there was no panic uh, panic for that short period of time when he was dealing with the hand or getting it looked at because you knew you had Zach Moss that's still going to grind out you know, four, over four yards per carry for the game. I mean, Moss, had, Moss is averaging over – he's got more yards per carry this year than Jonathan Taylor does. So he's a really good back, and I just don't think the Colts are going to uh, sense a, a significant loss 
in their running game with number 21 back there. You're going to hear his voice 1 o'clock on Sunday. Our coverage begins at 10 a.m. as the Colts take on the Tennessee Titans here in what, and I guess you insert this statement for every game the rest of the way, and what is a big one coming up in Nashville. Matt Taylor, as always, enjoyed it. Enjoy Nashville, and we will talk to you uh, next Friday, man. I appreciate you, boys. Uh, Keep your head above water with this rain going on here, and have a good weekend, all right?